if, if you're the kind of person who's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to play penis in Scrabble, I'm not playing with you. My nine-year-old, she can totally do Monopoly. The six-year-old actually totally gets how the game works, but she's not emotionally developed enough to handle her inevitable loss in every game of Monopoly. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Style Guide Podcast with your hosts Dave Morris and Stephen Ray. Or how are you today, Steve-o? I'm great. I'm great. How about yourself, Dave? I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm excited for today's podcast. We're kind of like shifting a little. We're ch- breaking the mold a little bit. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different that uh, that still adheres to our our explorations of style and genre and storytelling, but in a new way. Yeah, and that way is of course through one of uh, not just our, but America's favorite hobby, newest hobby, newest favorite hobby, <laughs> which is that of course the art and craft of board games. Board games, that's right. And not just America, the worldwide uh, board game phenomena. It's uh, it's getting pretty big. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And uh, the, the America one is, is the new, it's like a new craze almost, this idea of like board game cafes are opening up everywhere. Everyone's getting into board games, starting their own board game publishing companies, making their own games. It's, it's great. There's this sense where the board game era was either something that kids did or something that nerds did. And now it's kind of broadening into something that uh, just human beings do together for fun. Definitely. And it's more, it's like a, it's a more social, uh, social way to kind of hang out. You have to interact. It's tactile. There's things to touch. There's pieces to move. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was saying this about escape rooms, but actually I think that maybe that board game cafes are kind of our generation's laser tag. (laughs) um okay maybe not maybe not maybe not maybe not i'm not sure i'm not sure i mean actually you know what escape rooms are definitely our generation's laser tag because it's something that you do occasionally that is super exciting to do but you you don't often get the the fun of it and so part of the fun is how rare it is yeah no board games are not that never mind maybe board game cafes are our generation's dog fights Whoa! <laughs> no, wait, no. We still have dog fights. Never mind. That's different. It's totally different. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, uh, I'm super in favor of this craze because uh, I think I started getting into this craze uh, in like the early 2000s, really, when Settlers of Catan made its way over to North America. Yeah, Das Settlers. And I guess, I mean, what, what I mean called. by the early 2000s, I mean like five or six or seven years after Settlers of Catan made its way to North America. <laughs> but when it finally left the realm of just like the, the geeky board gamers uh, and got into like the mainstream flow for the first time was uh, like around the early 2000s, I think. It didn't, I didn't get it until probably the mid 2000s. Uh, yeah, no, mid early as well. Mm-hmm. But it's it it had to kind of leave the the quiet circles of oh have you have you played this board game that came over from Europe like yeah. no I don't I don't do that yeah and when you look at it you're like this is way too complicated of a board game I don't understand it and then you learn it and then now you understand it yeah and in comparison to a lot of the board games that are now popular Settlers of Catan is fairly simplistic. 
Yeah, very, very. Uh, as far as like the uh, the 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 um, the scope of what's out there, it's on the simpler end. It's a, it's a I call it a gateway game. It's the game that kind of gets you into the more complex board games. It, it leaves the realm of Monopoly and Clue and and the game of life and gets you into things like you know Agricola, Terra Mystica, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe it. It's. And for some people, it's that's all that they'll ever need. They don't need to go beyond Settlers of Catan. They're completely satisfied with it. But, you know, for those of us that get over its its wonderfulness, uh, we move on to other things. Yeah, man. We played we played Settlers, me and my friends, when we first discovered it for like I think like two years straight. Like every day, like we had a table in our living room area that was basically the Settlers of Catan table. And it's like, that's just what we would do. We would just play Settlers and we would play the heck out of that game. And we got pretty good at it. We got to a point where I think it was just a matter of dice rolling. Yeah, well, I mean, and in a lot of ways, like that's the that's the joy of that game where truthfully, the the mechanics of it aren't terribly complicated. So that you can go from understanding something like Monopoly or Sorry and and move your way into this this kind of tweaked, uh, added-on element version of that game. Which is not to say Settlers of Catan isn't a great game, but it's the perfect sort of game uh, to transition from the games you played as a kid to a more mature set. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has strategy to it. It has trading involved. It has building involved. It has resources and, and all that. So you're getting into this more complex game. But it still is similar to Monopoly where you roll dice, you get stuff, and then you use that stuff to take over pro- like property. You take over stuff. Uh, so it's like it's got it, it's not that complex, but it is. Yeah, it's easy enough to learn, but you can play for years you really can play for years before you get tired yeah exactly (laughs) so so for both of us settlers was kind of our first foray into the more advanced board game world yeah and you know i would i would go almost as far to say that a lot of our listeners out there in radio land if they are board gamers uh also were introduced to the more complex board games through either settlers of Catan or just the sort of notoriety of settlers of Catan. Right, that that is what pulled on them to get them into board games. I would go that far to say that I think Settlers has is is uh is partially responsible, if not wholly responsible, for the uh the res- like this this rise of board gaming culture in North America. I'd say so too. So before I I guess before we kind of delve into that, I wanna I wanna just take a step back one. Let's do it. And, and look at board games actually prior to that. Look at the kind of board games that were were popular or important for us growing up, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Like the board games of our youth. Yeah. Be- and, and just to be clear, not talking about role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I, I do not consider those board games. Uh, no. Nope. E- even as they've become more of a tabletop sort of game like Warhammer in some cases, I still don't consider those to be board games, so... Definitely not. For you, were board games a thing that you you did growing up? Definitely, yeah, definitely. My family liked board games, but not not the good board games that we play now. But like you know, the classic board games. Uh, so we would play games all the time at our house. I mean, 
one like win lose or draw i don't know if i want to call that a board game but it technically has a board that you use to keep score on so it's kind of a board game but things like win lose or draw or uh balderdash which is the definition game some people call it dictionary right because really all you need is a dictionary to play the game but um but it was uh so so uh things like balderdash win lose draw pictionary a lot of those kind of party games, you know, that the family would play when we're having like, you know, over Christmas and stuff like that. So we'd have those kind of games. And then so that's like the family. But then the extended family with like my young cousins and stuff when we were kids, we would play like Monopoly comes to mind as a childhood game that was epic. Yeah, Mon- Monopoly is one of those weird ones where Everybody hates Monopoly, and I mean, I think rightfully so for, for a variety of reasons, but it it played an important part in my childhood. I remember playing huge, long games of Monopoly, and, and it being, you know, this event. Well, yeah, and the thing with Monopoly is it's easy to understand, right? You get money, and you spend money. You know, it's, it's pretty close to life. Like, um, uh, for a kid, it's exciting to have money, too, which is just like like actual cash, like $100. I'm going to spend $100. Oh, you owe me $900. And it teaches you to count and stuff. And it's a, it's, it's a great. It's a great game for that. But that game gets a bad rap. And I'm going to defend it for a second and say that Monopoly actually is a pretty decent game if you play by the actual rules. Right. And I would say that if you play by the actual rules, because most people who are listening have probably never played a game of Monopoly by the proper actual rules. Because uh, they'll add in things like the free parking where you get the money from the mill. That's just a that's a bad rule, and that should never be in Monopoly because that ruins everything. And like like things like if you don't buy a property, it goes up for auction. You have to play by that rule. A lot of people like to take that rule out. And those two rules, if you take them out or you add them in, I should say, one or the other, you totally ruin the game of Monopoly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The The way that the house rules uh, of Monopoly just, they butcher the, the A, simplicity and, and strategy of the game to the point where, yeah, it's, it's no longer A, balanced or B, particularly fun because games will last forever. Exactly. I mean, you're adding money into the game, which is going to, to make the game last longer just because now there's like $500 in the middle that somebody gets. If they land on free parking. And so it makes it harder to bankrupt people. And then if you don't buy, if, you, if properties don't go up for auction right away, then it takes longer to buy all the properties. Uh, so again, the game now is is extended and takes longer. Yeah. Now, I mean, the thing that I don't like about Monopoly is that the game of it is pretty dumb. Basically, if you have the money and you land on a property, you buy it. Like yeah. That's just that's every every time. There's no reason why you wouldn't buy every single property that you land on, unless you don't have money. Unless you don't have money, in which case someone else will just buy it, and and that's the game. Yeah, and and so it, in in a lot of ways, there's not enough of a game there without adding these stupid rules that people add. But I agree with you. I don't think that those those additional rules make it a better game. They just make it a longer game. Yeah, and I I'm gonna, I'm going to defend a little bit of of the rules of the strategy here because if you land on a property and you don't want to buy it, you could not buy it. And then it goes up for auction, and then you can intentionally raise the price on that property. 
by bidding on it, right? And so you can strategically use the bidding to your advantage, uh, or you can land on a property, choose not to buy it, it goes up for auction, and then you buy it for less because you just you bid $50, and if no one else wants it, then you win it, right? Or you make them pay a lot for it. So like, if you play the game by the proper rules and then play the strategy within those rules, you can, uh, you know, you can dictate uh, you have a little more control over the game than people often think you do. Yeah, but then we get into this realm where that moves Monopoly kind of away from being a family game and more of a game where, you know, if if you're younger, you're totally boned. Yeah, yeah. Those Definitely. sorts of mechanics don't work as well when you're eight or nine and you don't understand uh, that your your you know your uncle is just forcing you into a bidding war for a piece of property that he knows that it's a bad thing for you to bid on, but you're clearly going to bid on it and he's going to destroy you later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm having a kid next month and I'm going to teach him Monopoly. And I'm going to win every effing time. Uh, so that's the lesson I'm going to teach my kid. Well, that's that's lovely. Daddy always wins board games. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, so Monopoly. Monopoly is uh, everyone's played it. It's an important part of people's childhood. I think it was an important part of your childhood. It was. Yeah, I I do uh, I do know that it was a game that we play a lot, and the just the having of the money. I don't think that can be overemphasized because of how awesome it was to be like, oh, I have hundreds of dollars in my hand, and I'm ten years old. So. It, yeah. it 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 felt like a a version of the real world that cards never did. Definitely. Yeah. I mean that yeah. was another another thing in my childhood as well was was just card games, right? Like but we're not talking about those cuz that's not board games. But another board game, another board game classic in my childhood. So like Balderdash I've already talked about and yeah. Pictionary which we don't need to Party talk games. Too, we don't talk too much about it, but it was Scrabble. Ah, Scrabble, yeah. Yeah, Scrabble was was a super. It was always. It's all. It still is probably one of my uh, one game that I would. I, I do enjoy playing. It's just my wife does not enjoy Scrabble at all, so I never play it. Well, to be to be fair, you're not a nice person. Wait, I, mean, <laughs> I play. <laughs> I play to win. I play to win. And it's not my fault that I'm good enough at Scrabble that I win more often than not. Well, and, and that's exactly the problem that I run into, where Scrabble is not a a fun, casual game for me, like something like Sorry or something like Clue. Scrabble is, I'm going to play the best thing I can every time, and I am going to prevent you from playing. I am going to do everything in my power to make this... Uh, a great game for me, which usually involves breaking some hearts. Yeah, because Scrabble is not a game about knowing a lot of words. No. Scrabble is a game about playing strategically, playing your words strategically, if you want to win, which, of course, I always play to win. Uh, so I'm going to try and win. I'm not going to try and just play night like, oh, look, I spelled the word glove. Like, that's not what I'm interested in. <laughs> I'm interested in stopping you from getting the triple word scores or getting them myself. Even if it's just like a two-letter word that gets the triple word and prevents you from getting it, I will do that, right? Um, so uh, that's the that's the way I play games is to win. That's true. That's true. And and terrifying. Well, and and that's the thing. Like, I if you're the kind of person who's like, oh, I'm I'm gonna play penis in Scrabble. I'm not playing with you. I'm 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 not playing. That's yeah. that's not a game for me. If you're just like, oh, I'm gonna create funny words. 
if you're not playing the game to play the game, then why mm-hmm. are we bothering? Yeah, especially especially if you also had an R and an S in your hand, and then you could have spelled the word snipers. That would have been way better. Snipers would be way better than penis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so Scrabble is one of those games that I've always enjoyed and still enjoy. And to me, it is just a fun game, but, but I do play to win. The strategy to it is pretty simple. Get, well, get, and- get points and stop them from getting points. And I used to play Scrabble with my, I, I don't think I ever played it with my grandfather. Maybe I did, but but with my grandmother, I played it. And and there's this, this fun ability to bridge uh, age gaps with that game. When when you're younger, you're obviously not playing as well um, as, as when you're older and you kind of understand the, the mechanics a bit better. But it is, it is one of those games where you know what? Most people can can have fun with it, and so it's it's a nice bridge in a way that I would say Monopoly isn't. Monopoly's not a nice bridge. Well, I mean, just because of the what happens with Monopoly is that there are different levels of the game being played, and I guess that happens with Scrabble too. But for most people, they're not playing it at the hyper aggressive competitive level that you and I play. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> It's a, it's a family game. Yeah. Um, and and Monopoly is a family game too, but it's a family game where the rules are designed that if you don't if you don't understand them, you you are going to lose way more often than you win. Whereas Scrabble, it's just like, yeah, do you know how to put put words on a board? Great. Yeah. You know. You're probably gonna lose, but but it is it is one of those, and it has this sort of feel to it, Scrabble, where Monopoly you lose because you've gone bankrupt and lost all of your stuff, and you're done. Like that's it's a hard lose, right? As Louis C.K. says, it's a dark loss. Um, like yeah, you're bankrupt and on the street, and I'm gonna take all of your money and then destroy everyone else who's also playing. But Scrabble is like when you lose, you still put words on the board and you can see the story of the game that you played all laid out in front of you and it looks nice and the points just happen to be there. It's like Super Mario Brothers. You don't play Super Mario Brothers for the points, you know, even though there are points. You play it just to run around and jump and turtles and stuff. So that that's how it kind of has. And a lot of games do have that, still have that feel where like at the end of the game, at the points, sure, you won, but look at all this stuff that I still have and did. And it feels good. It's a feel good kind of game. Yeah, well, and that's that's a fantastic mechanic that we see actually in the more advanced board games. Like that kind of what what a more the the marker of a more advanced board game is often is it still fun for everybody at the end of the game? Were they still able to do stuff? Even though one person won, we all still had a good time. As opposed to that person won because all of us totally lost. Which is Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Monopoly, exactly. we lose one by one in other games. Uh, somebody wins at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so so there's another board game from my youth. But I, oh, do you, do you want to bring it up as well? What were you going to bring up? I was going to I was going to say the the board game that when I was younger, I thought was a more advanced board game. The one that I thought was, you know, this this transition into a more adult style of play. And that was Risk. Oh yeah, risk. Good old yeah. risk. Now, the the game that when you discover you're you you have this amazing feeling of this this is unlike anything I've ever played and it plays in a different way and it seems like there's this such depth of strategy and these games just always last forever. Yeah. And and so it had an epic quality to it. Yeah, even though it's not that advanced of a game really. 
Uh, it's just sort no. of you just there's only so many strategies. Yeah, be be Australia, always win. That's that's the strategy. Well, no, it's just build up armies and then destroy everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you need more armies than everybody, and you got to roll better. And that's that's yep. about it. That's about it. Yeah, risk was. I remember the risk uh, time period in our in our high school days, where we would play games of risk that would last hours. Yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, never as much fun as you thought it would be going in. No, and I had I had a friend who who always loved to play Risk, but wasn't particularly good at it, and and I think on more than one occasion when he was destroyed, as Risk did, it, you could be destroyed and out of the game for hours. He flipped the board. Oh man! <laughs> and and on the one hand, yes, totally childish and immature, and on the other hand good like risk now, deserves that now we can stop playing <laughs> yeah. yeah risk is risk is one of those games yeah and there's also clue which we didn't spend too much time talking about we've mentioned a couple times now right yeah but but clue is like just like it's a game that teaches you how to make checklists really um and uh, although i did play it again recently over easter i played it with uh, some in-laws and we had a great time it's actually a still a fun little game uh, of deduction you know and and there is some strategies to it and and things like that but it is just list making and checking off yeah well but it's it's themed in a really fun way right and mm -hmm. and the little pieces you get to play with are kind of cool and and so all of that makes the checklist seem more fun yeah and it is a game that i made a prequel to of course as you know mm-hmm you did. You made uh, murder. Murder, which is the prequel, where where we uh, we try and find. Yeah, everyone has to kill somebody in a different room with a different object and uh, kill a different person. So it's like you know the who, what, where. It's great. It's yeah. a fun little prequel. But there is another game that I want to make sure I bring up. What's that? Because I know you've played it, and I know both of us accredit a lot of our board game skill to this game, and that is chess. Chess. Which is technically a board game. Totally. It's, it's a board, very, there are pieces, there are rules. It's a very different category of board game, though, chess. It's like, an, I, I, don't, I don't know, what, I always think of it as like one of the ancient games or the old games or something like that, you know? Like, uh, like, like, uh, like with um, uh, Backgammon yep. or, or Mancala. Like those really kind of like ancient games that we don't even know their origins, you know, or who made them. They're so old. Uh, and chess was a game that I remember playing as a kid and taught me so much about strategy. Yeah. Like that, that uh, the ability in board gaming that you and I both utilize, uh, which is the, the look ahead at your opponent's moves uh, to predict their moves and then build a strategy to either thwart them or defeat them, you know, like that, that ability is an ability you get from playing chess. 100%. Chess is, I mean, there, there, there's the, of course, the saying that a good chess player thinks three moves ahead, uh, a great chess player thinks one move ahead, mm -hmm. um, and it's always the right one. And, and there's an extent to which, yeah, I, I can acknowledge that. But for me, chess is always this, this very, this game that requires a great amount of forethought for me and always planning based on what the board looks like and what it could look like and and figuring out how to put myself in the best position based on that and yeah 
And yeah. and so it's it was one of those games for me too, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's that game where you think three moves ahead and you take a move, you make your first move, and then whatever move they make, then you rethink three moves ahead again. Right? You don't yeah. stick to those three moves because the board has changed. So you constantly are taking in the board state and then using that to make your decisions, but you always have some long term strategy in your head. That but that long term strategy is very, very uh, malleable and constantly changing. Whereas the short-term strategy is pretty fixed and you just have to do that thing. So it's kind of like that, that wonderful strategy versus tactics kind of idea, you know, where you, uh, you have like a long-term strategy, but then you're utilizing tactics in the short term to achieve that strategy. Uh, and chess is just a perfect, uh, that, like that is where I learned to be as good as I am at board games. Well, and chess is the game where I learned, uh, I learned to trash talk. <laughs> really in chess yeah yeah and and i learned to trash talk as a strategy to enhance my 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 gameplay is 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 the thing about it where i knew that i was good at chess but i also knew that other people were always like a lot of people are hesitant with how they play chess just like oh yeah no i mean i know how the pieces work but i don't really know strategy and for some people, that's like, oh, well, then let's play a fun game. And for me, that's, okay, well, how can I use that to my advantage to just absolutely destroy this person I'm sitting across from? And so I would I would play games where I would tell people what the best move for them to do was as they were doing something else. I would I would just talk about how, you know, the number of different plans that I had based on what they were doing. Like, just absolutely bullying the person across from me in this ridiculous game you're a terrible person well i mean you got to demoralize the enemy <laughs> yeah it's true i i remember playing uh like got in high school we got pretty into chess and we would go to this cafe and we'd all sit at this cafe and smoke cigarettes and play chess on the back patio and it was so cool and we were so like philosophical and thoughtful and stuff but um but it, I would get like super cocky about chess and like play two games at once, you know, like just yep. just to, to to just say like, yeah, I can do it and got really good until one of my friends, this uh, my German friend, started like reading all the chess strategy books and then he started winning all the time. And then it was like this, like, ah, oh, you read all the books because none of us read any of the books. We just played. Right. Uh, but he was very good. That was also when I got really into backgammon, too, was in that in that cafe that was open 24 hours. And so he, sometimes you'd be there until like two in the morning and you'd be playing backgammon with an old Persian man. That was how I learned how to play backgammon. Well, mm -hmm. that's pretty great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. So that's like the old games, the ancient ones, I call them. Yeah. And we've covered our childhood games. Any other childhood games we haven't brought up yet? I mean, do you really want to bring up Mousetrap or something like that, which was not nope. really a game as much as it was an attempt to build something? A Rube Goldberg machine? Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, it's, no pretty, it's pretty silly. No, no, no. Um, that I mean, and and that's I mean, there are lots of other games that I played as a kid, but I can I can see in a lot of ways why those games are important when you're younger. Because they introduce you to the concept of rules, for starters, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and and that in a lot of ways they they allow you to to see rules not as a restriction that limits you, but as something that you can work up against the limits of. Yeah, and play within to have fun. Yeah, 
yeah and and figuring out how best to use those rules to your advantage like there's no rule in chess that says you can't trash talk the person in front of you nope. and and that and realizing that for me was this kind of revelation where I'm like oh well so it's easier for me to win when the other person is demoralized great mm-hmm. and 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 those sorts of hacks to a game so to speak are i think important for our development as thinkers yeah yeah and like to figure out that in scrabble the rules like you win by getting points not by making good words right and realizing how to actually win the game versus what you think the game is about you know and that that's uh, that's something that that often comes up with board games and me when I'm teaching people and stuff is that they want to make sure they have like one of every color or whatever the the thing is because it just looks nicer on their board and it's like that's not how you that's not how you win the game. <laughs> um, you win the game by getting points and in Scrabble it's not about spelling good words it's about blocking people and winning the game through points. Yeah, which brings us to I guess the the newer board games we'll call them. When Settlers of Catan found its way into our lives and changed everything. Yeah, well, and changed things in a lot of different directions. Because some games took the idea of Settlers of Catan and the ideas of Settlers of Catan and built upon them. Uh, other games took the ideas of our, our childhood and and built upon those in interesting ways. Like, Settlers of Catan isn't really Monopoly Plus, like you could call it that, but it it's too different of a game. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And so that that whole the Euro board game, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. that's one direction. But then the 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 North American board games as well, those are uh another direction, which I, I think I'm happy with both of them in different ways. Yeah, definitely. And I mean those old childhood games of ours are still around. They just keep getting rebranded and like you can play Star Wars Monopoly, you can play uh like they have Angry new, Birds, sorry. Yep. Yeah, new clue games all the time. Like they're still they're still around and doing just fine because of the nostalgia factor of it. Um but also because they do fit into a really nice mild board game category that anyone can play and learn fairly simply. Yeah. Which, you know, to like even Risk, which we'll pretend is one of the more complex ones, like the Risk gets rebranded and, and played in many different contexts in many different ways. But the next step of Risk is not Lord of the Rings Risk. It's something like Game of Thrones, the board game. Definitely. I was going to bring that up as well as the next step, of, as, as what I always call the Game of Thrones board game is is good Risk. <laughs> Because Game of Thrones removes the dice rolling and replaces it with, uh, with you know the cards the other person has. And so you know whether or not you can win or lose this fight. And it replaces all of that with the order tokens that you give out, right? For those who haven't played it, uh, there's three phases. The first phase is we all place our orders. The second is we flip them all over and we start carrying them out one at a time. And then the final one is a card flips over and things happen. Um and so the, you place the order secretly and then you flip them and then now everyone can see what armies are going to do what. It's a fantastic, fantastic game. 
Yeah, and and what's particularly great about it is is it takes the greatness of Risk in that you know the long epic games, the pitting each other against each other, the 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 alliances and friendships that that get broken throughout the course of the game, and just says, well, what are the rules that we can add to Risk to make that uh, a more fair of a game or more strategic of a game, more complex but also more compelling. And it's a it's a perfect example of taking an old board game and and adding those those factors so that it's something that you as an adult get a great deal out of. Definitely. And it uh, it puts more importance on the things that make risk fun, the alliances and stuff like that. Uh, and and it and the strategy of it, that's so much more important in the Game of Thrones game because there's no dice rolls. And so when you so you have to make alliances and truces to an extent and then in order to win you have to betray them. Yeah. Right. And so it ends up being this really epic emotion-filled game that you play. Uh and every time somebody gets mad that you won because you cheated them or whatever or you lied to them and it's like I had to. I had to lie to you. I'm sorry. That's how the game works. <laughs> Well, and, and that's one of the things where you and I, I mean, you and I realize this about the game and, and very aware of it and will often just, you know, openly be like, yeah, we have an alliance. We, we have an alliance because it's convenient for us right now. And then, <laughs> yeah. and, and like not pretend otherwise and just, yeah, we're going to gang up on you guys and do what we can to prevent <laughs> you from winning. And then one of us is going to betray the other at the right moment and one of us will win. That's yeah. Let's that's just hope I, bet- let's just hope I betray you before you betray me. Yeah. yeah we have a, yeah. we have an ongoing uh, relationship. My, my wife and I, and, uh, and uh, a couple friends of ours, we play game of Thrones. It's like the game we play together. And uh, every time Jeff, the gentleman in that couple, is always wanting to play it because he wants to beat me at it. And he has never beat me at it. (laughs) And he hates it so much, but he loves it so much because it's like such a challenge. And he always thinks he's going to win. And then he never does Uh, because I betray him. (laughs) See... You can't go into it being like, oh, I want to beat Dave. You have to go into it going, I want to beat everyone. Yeah. And how do I do that? Well, I I make everyone on my side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, And pit them against each other, which is one of the other fun things about a game like that, where you can actively convince other people that they are... They are trying to betray each other that they're they're inevitably going to because mm-hmm. that's the point of the game. Yeah, and it's not just about convincing other people. It is, and, and I, I'm going to harken back to chess again, is it's that using short-term tactics to achieve long-term goals. But in in Game of Thrones, the best thing you can do is tell people what their best move is. Uh, because if you, if they, and, and be honest, like this is honestly your best move right now based on your position. Uh, because if they're doing their best moves, then you can use that to extrapolate their future moves because they're they're going to have to do this because that's just the best thing for them. And then I can use that knowledge to my advantage to know that, okay, so I'm not going to take that castle until near the end of the game and then I'll betray them and take it, right? And so like, yeah, and you'd, uh, if they're not doing their best moves and they're playing poorly, then it's harder to predict what they're going to do, <laughs> which makes it harder to... Uh, uh, inevitably destroy them 
Yeah, which I think brings us to the 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 broader form of betrayal games, which are definitely becoming more popular. Oh, yeah, and not necessarily betrayal games. Game of Thrones doesn't lead directly there. It leads to that sort of uh, strategy games and board control type games, you know. Um, like Settlers has a little bit of that with board controlling and stuff like that. But the but, but you aren't really making any truces in Settlers of Catan. Um, but yeah, so like the the having to form alliances with people, I, and I think I know what game you're about to bring up, so you can just bring it up. It's also based on a television franchise. It is, and it's the Battlestar Galactica board game. Yeah, which to me is where it's it's a nice it's it's a it's not quite just a straight up uh, betrayal game because it's a cooperative game that has betrayer yeah. in it, as opposed to Game of Thrones, which is not at all cooperative in any way. You're never cooperating. You are forming alliances, but you're not quite in cooperation trying to win together you never there's no shared victory in uh game of thrones whereas in battlestar galactica there's a shared victory either the humans have won or the cylons have won spoiler alert for people who haven't seen the television show battlestar galactica there's cylons which are these robots (laughs) but yeah but battlestar galactica or uh knights of camelot games that have a traitor mechanic where one of the people in the game, or two of the people, multiple people, can be working for the the enemy, or or in another way, working against the heroes. Yeah, and that is like the so this is this is in the in the cooperative game genre, right? Of of uh, games like Pandemic or Forbidden Desert, or um, um, there's a few other cooperative style games, but Pandemic's probably the most famous of them. And helped kick that genre off to a strong start, where the whole team is working together to accomplish a goal. And that cooperative games, I do enjoy. I don't know. Have you, do you like Pandemic? I do like Pandemic, yeah. I mean, in in some ways, Pandemic is frustrating for me because there's usually one move that's best for everybody on the table at all times. Yeah. And so it it often becomes this like, well, this is what you should do so that we can win. Yeah. And that's where cooperative games start to break down is that it leads to very easily leads to uh, board control, right? Where one player can take over and control the game, which is not as fun. It's not as fun because why am I playing? You can just play the whole game by yourself, which is actually on the iPad. They have a version. Uh, You can play Pandemic on your iPad Mm -hmm. and you can you just play all four people. And it's fantastic. It's fantastic. You just play all by yourself. You don't need other people. It's great. But yeah, so cooperative games kind of have like a, a inherent flaw in that sense where some people don't get to make choices and it becomes boring for them. Whereas cooperative games with traders like Battlestar Galactica, because of the trader aspect built into the game are these uh, things, the, 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 the necessity for players to make their own choices. Yeah. So there isn't someone necessarily taking over the whole game and there can't be because you can't trust what anyone is telling you because they might be a Cylon. So you just have to act on what you want to do and you probably are a Cylon. So you have to make it look like you're doing the right thing. Yeah. And, and those, those, I think, I think you're right to point to the way that they solve a problem in the cooperative genre. Yeah. I mean, there there so there are two ways to go with it one is to make a cooperative game so complex that there isn't a single right move for most of the game mm-hmm. so this would be something like Arkham Horror where the game just has so many pieces that there are lots of right-ish moves yeah 
I mean, there's usually some that are better than others, but I mean, you're not going to fault someone for, for making their own choices in that game because, hey, there's lots of different ways that it could turn out. Yeah, there's a lot of short-term goals to accomplish, so go for which, go for one of them, really. And yeah. So, so, yeah, yeah. Pandemic doesn't have those. Pandemic has, you know, is is a is a very simple setup of of what's what the right moves are going to be in most situations. Usually, hiding under the complexity of you know how bad a bunch of different places are, but there's there's almost always a right move to make. Yeah, and the and the cooperative games you're playing against the game. Yeah. So the game is is causing all these things to happen. Uh, intentionally to make things worse and worse and harder and harder for you. Whereas in Battlestar Galactica or Knights of Camelot or uh, Dead of Winter... Dead of Winter, yep. You do have to play with and against the other players, which is where it makes that really fun kind of dynamic of of trust and mistrust and and suspecting people and all that and turning on each other and and saying f you i'm gonna do this instead and doing that because you want to because you think they're bad but actually you're bad or whatever you know like it it plays really well into all of that sort of stuff the the lovely thing about the betrayal games is that they're the 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 traitor mechanic or the betrayer mechanic adds so much depth to what could otherwise be a simple game yeah i mean in well no so pandemic does have somebody who can play the the bioterrorist but the bioterrorist is known so it's not a it's not a secret actor in the yeah, game and that's not until the expansions i think yeah yeah but it i mean it it allows games to be played so many more times because once you add that mechanic every game is different yeah Mm-hmm. Like even for a straightforward game, and Battlestar Galactica is not a straightforward game, but yeah, well, it, one, it allows one of the games, so much more depth. Yeah, one of the other ones is Betrayal at House on the Hill, uh, which yeah. which is cooperative and then halfway through changes, which is slightly different than what we've been talking about. But it starts out cooperatively exploring a haunted house, and then at one point a haunt happens where one of the characters ends up being the haunt uh, revealer and has to leave the room and read the manual and then the heroes all read the manual and then they come back and now we're fighting against the bad guy uh and that is uh that game is really fun i don't know i don't know how much you've played it do you like it i do yeah i like yeah. it a lot because what you're doing in the first phase of the game is you're building the board you know you're 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 setting up the conditions to start it off and and that they've made it a fun exercise. Yeah, exactly. And it is like so so setting up the board and exploring. There's still like places you get hurt and bad things that happen. So the game is affecting you. But then halfway through now you're playing an actual game trying to destroy one trying to beat the the haunter uh or the haunt revealer. And so it it it's got a nice sort of switch in the middle there which I really really enjoy that mechanic of it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, there there's something kind of like that in Battlestar Galactica where, you know, you get your second phase of Are You a Traitor cards, but it's not, it doesn't have the same emphasis or oomph that yeah. you get in Betrayal because Betrayal feels almost like it's two different games played on the same board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, exactly. And, and it is like somebody wins, somebody loses, or we share the victory or they... They share the loss, so so it is like a win or lose kind of game. 
which is actually so so back to what we were talking about with Scrabble about how like at the end when you lose you still don't you don't feel too terrible because you got to spell a bunch of words yeah. uh that's the kind of so that this is another kind of this is the other popular game right now is that game where like everyone has their own little board right you know and then there's a big board and so like your little board is like either your village or your farm or your uh i don't know your vineyard or something where you are building up these things and growing these wines and playing these cards and building these characters and collecting all this stuff so that at the end of the game you can look down at your board and be like wow look what i did and so i'm thinking like here i'm thinking of of uh, agricola also called agricola or puerto rico or viticulture or uh I mean, Terra Mystica to an extent, but that's a that's a whole another brand. So let's hold off on that. But those kind of games where you have your own little board to play on. And that does have that Scrabble feel of at the end of the game, even though Steve-O won, look what I accomplished on my farm in Agricola. I got all these sheep and I've grown all these vegetables and I have all these, these occupations. And you feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah. And in the, the nice thing about those games uh, it also is that you can be playing uh, a strategy that's completely different to everybody else around you, and it can be sometimes a little tricky to know exactly who's going to win the game. Yeah, until the very end of the game, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I, I would, uh, I mean, Firefly is, it's more of like a pick up and deliver kind of game because you're just flying around picking things up and dropping things off and getting money and points and things like that. But it has that same idea where you have like a board and you're establishing a crew and items and, by the end, even if you lose the game, you can look down and be like, oh, well, I had, you know, Mal was my captain and I had Zoe on my ship and that was really fun. And so, like, you still feel good at the end of that game, whether you win or lose. And those games, I think, are are great. And I think that those are the games that I can play with my wife <laughs> where that will not cause us to get a divorce. Um, like Settlers of Catan, I think it's called Divorce in a Box sometimes. But yeah, so like those games are 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 great. I I'm a super I'm a huge fan of those games. Yeah, th- those ones are a lot of fun. And I mean, like Firefly is a good example where I think the theme of the game is what makes it the uh, that gives it that extra fun. Where yeah. it's it's not so much the the style of the game because yes, you have your own board, but it is in some ways an aggressive. Uh, sh- the shared board is can be much more aggressive. Um, as opposed to something like uh, Agricola, where, yeah, I mean, you can definitely keep people from getting certain uh, certain positions, but you're not, uh, you're, you're doing everything on your own in a lot of ways. Well, I would say, uh, actually, uh, Firefly, you are, is less aggressive than Agricola. Because in Agricola, only one person can, you know, build fences. Uh, and if I build fences before you, you can't build fences until the next round. Whereas in Firefly, it's like if we're both going to this planet, we can both go to that planet. If we both are, you know, trying to buy, we both are are flying over to that spot. We can all do it. Like like uh, you get to take your actions no matter what the other people do. It's only in the later expansions of Firefly where they start adding some yeah. more like bounty hunters where you can actually aggressively steal things from people and, and stuff like that so it's not till later that it gets aggressive and even then you can avoid that pretty well <laughs> so yeah yeah i think you're right you're right yeah i I'm, and i mean there is something fascinating about games like the village or games like uh puerto rico where 
the the aggression that you can do is to take someone else's move before they can get to it like yeah it's all it's like is it a passive aggressive i don't know it's like a a a, a, a you're not attacking them you are preventing them from acting so you're stalling yeah. them i don't know it's weird it's a weird way to think of it as being aggressive but it totally is well, there are times where like you're just doing that move because it's the best move for you to do, but then there are other times where you're doing that move in order to keep that person from feeding their family so that they lose a ton of points this round, yes. and you could do so many better moves for yourself, but the point is to win, not yeah. to have a good time. Because if I make them lose, I have a better chance of winning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... Times that we have played Agricola to really just ruin Scott's day. A lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes. And, yeah. And it's funny, though, actually. I just realized that like, all the games we just mentioned that where you have your own little board, mm -hmm. uh, I own all of them that I just mentioned. Like Puerto Rico, Viticulture, uh, um, uh, Agricola. Like I, I, uh, Fire, Firefly, I unfortunately don't own, but. Well, you you share I own, it. I partially I share it. I partially own it with Theo, our good friend Theodore, who people hear from uh, um, pretty soon, probably on this podcast. But um, yeah, so uh, so those are like some of my favorite games. Is those like you have your own little board kind of games, whether it's a pickup delivery game or a, a strategy farming game or anything like that. I just I just enjoy those kinds of games. Yeah, the the mechanic of playing your own game but also playing it with others is quite a bit of fun. As opposed to, oh, I'm going to forget the name, uh, Lao Ming, the, you know the game I'm thinking the of, you own it. The Gates of, the gates of Lo Yang? Lo Yang, yeah, which is much more, you have your own board and that's it. Like that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's anything you do to each other in that game. Uh, there is, you go to market together and you, you, you basically like you take, uh, customers and right. stuff like that and there are cards that let you steal cards from other people so there is some interaction uh but it is mostly like you're just running a market which sounds super boring but it's a lot of fun. but it's a lot of fun it's a great little game yeah yeah, yeah. so that brings us to to terra mystica here because I, I do think we we need to do, devote a little bit of time to terra mystica because it's yeah. uh it's a game that i know we both like and it is a game where you have your own little board uh for those who haven't played it you have your own little board with with uh it it and your own different race of creatures. So like you're a mermaid or you're a uh, uh, rock or a, uh, rock giant. Yeah. Or a dwarf or something. So you, everyone has their own race, which all come with their own abilities and, and uh, different income. So at the beginning of every round, you get some workers and money and stuff like that. And then as you build, you're building onto a, a shared board. And as you build onto this board, more things are revealed on your little board that count as income for yourself. So if you build more little settlement type things, you get more workers. And if you build more uh, temples, you get more priests and stuff, stuff like that. So it's sort of this like you're, you're trying to maximize the use of your board and your abilities while building out on a shared board uh, with everyone else. So it's kind of got this Settlers of Catanian feel on the board. But uh, the rest of it is is you on your little board trying to maximize your uh, your race. Is that a good quick description of it? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a perfect description. And I mean, the thing the the thing that's important is that there are eight, ten different races, something ten, like that. Yeah, ten different races. I think there's five uh, boards with two sides on each. So yeah, right. I think yeah. that's right. So it's got this, this huge amount of, of depth in that regard, 
uh, with which means the strategies for each race are going to be very different. The 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 way that you play your board is, and the way that you play the shared board are going to depend entirely on your race mm-hmm. and the races of the other people at the table. Because if you're both fighting over the same type of land, that to to you know to uh, terraform. It's uh, I mean, we won't get into the details again, but you may end up needing to uh, fight against someone a little more than if they chose a different race. Yeah. And so the level of complexity of the game is very high. Yeah. And and that's not even talking about the individual mechanics of what goes on on your board or what happens on the shared board or how you move up on the points track. Yeah. And how the, the different rounds there's a set number of rounds with different bonuses at the end that shuffle every game so so the thing i like about terra mystica uh that i want to bring it up for is that it has this wonderful as you just said variability uh in this every time you play it it's going to be totally different we're playing different races there's different uh round bonuses up there's different um uh what are those sticks called that you take uh that's a get starting player whatever different powers and stuff favors Uh, favors so like everything is so there's so many variables that by the time you sit down to play it there's a very small chance you're going to have played this game before, uh, which is great. And then the the rest of it from that point on, there are no cards that get shuffled and dealt, and there's no dice that get rolled. So it is all decisions you make and then decisions your opponents make, and that's all that is going to affect you and your strategy. Yeah, the randomness of the game is the setting up of the board. Yeah, and once it's set, it's set. And that is what, to me, makes it such a great kind of combination of like this whole new school board game phenomenon of of worker placement and and stuff like that and resources and everything and mixes it with that very old ancient sort of feel of chess where it's like there's the only thing that's going to screw up my plan is you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing that I love about Terra Mystica is after the board has been set up and all the random elements are in place, I look at the board and I know my whole strategy. I know what I'm going to try and do for basically every turn of the game. Like, I don't I don't have the exact details and some of that's going to change based on what happens, but I can look at it and have a very clear picture of what the best moves for me to make are. Yeah, and that's that difference between strategy and tactics, right? Where you have a strategy now for the whole game of what you're going to try to accomplish for every round. But then you do need to be tactical based on what other people are doing and when they're doing it and and what's available and blah, 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 blah. But you know what you're trying to achieve. And so you can can find your way to that, which is is great. It's It's a wonderful game. And... I mean, one of the one of the problems with Terra Mystica is that, I mean, for its complexity is is a virtue for for people like us, but its complexity can make it a hard game for lots of people because if you can't see the whole board in that that grand sort of way, you can also get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm going to lose this game. Yeah, and it is like what it is is. There's a, I remember the moment where we sort of stopped playing Terra Mystica was when some of us in our kind of gaming group played it a lot and got really good at it. So it was like, I think it was you, me, and Scott who were like, we now know how to play this game. Uh, and then other people who would come in just who'd only played it like, you know, four or five times with us here and there, sit down to play with us, but we're now like so good at it that they don't even have a chance and they just get destroyed. 
And so because of the complexity of it, it is hard to introduce just one new person into the game. Yeah. Right? We all kind of have to be at the same level to make the game uh, enjoyable, which is something you could say of chess. Like, if I were to play a grandmaster in chess, it would not be fun for me. Like, I know I don't have a chance. They're going to destroy me. Um, So, like, it does have that problem with the complexity of it. But that is a blessing and a curse kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the... The nice thing about it is the learning experience, like you can continue to learn even while you're losing it, as opposed to, I mean, Battlestar Galactica has this same problem. Like if you become a Cylon on your first game, yeah, you're, you're going to lose because you just don't know enough of the game to get it. Yeah. And Battlestar Galactica, if you're a Cylon and you, the, fir- the first time you play, you're not going to learn the things you need almost in order to be a better Cylon. Yeah, totally. like it's. Um, whereas with Terra Mystica or chess, they're games where even a loss should teach you how to better win. True. Yeah, that's true. Good point. And so, and so, and so, that's what I think should be one of those kind of saving graces of it. The problem is a game of Terra Mystica. I mean, especially when you're playing it with a full table of people or a bunch of new people, can be a three or four hour game. Mm-hmm just because the the fidgetiness of the rules whereas you know there are lots of games where yeah you'll lose but you can lose them if within 30 seconds and then there's a new game something like coup or love letter which are not as complex for sure but they're they're games where you lose a bunch and you learn through those losses how to better play yeah terra mystica has that but it's harder to get to the end of the game yeah and it's important that you do because the end of Terra Mystica is almost where the entire game can be. Like ev- all your giant Rube Goldberg machine has finally come to fruition and you're getting all these points in this last round. Cool. So there's a few other games we haven't actually talked about that I think we should okay. that we should bring up. Uh, yeah. One being Carcassonne. Carcassonne, yes. Right. Carcassonne is just a nice little game that uh is around the same sort of area as settlers of Catan to me always has been and it's a game like because because i mean full disclosure i used to teach at the board game cafe here i should let people know so i know games pretty well and i know what games other people can play and so people who've only ever played settlers uh if i introduce them to carcassonne i know they're going to enjoy it because it has the same amount of difficulty in the rules maybe even a little less but still the the variable complexity and the board building aspect of settlers that people like. Yeah. Well, and Carcassonne is one of those games like so settlers you don't like you you very rarely go towards the end of the game. Oh, I think I'm going to win uh, and then lose out of nowhere. Like you 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 don't have, you know, 7 points and then go, yeah, I have I I'm still in this. I've got a good shot unless you have a really clear coherent strategy of, oh, well, I know exactly how to get those next 3 points. Yeah. And so the the game doesn't um like you kind of know where you are going to stand towards the end of the game. Carcassonne is one of those games where it can be really difficult to know how everything is going to shake out at the very end. Yeah. 
which, which means it's an introduction towards that entire genre of games where you have no I, no real idea of the winner until the very end of it. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say as well, is that that's uh, the lovely distinction, is that it's a game that you can introduce people to easy, that gets them into the idea of you play the whole game and it ends because of some other uh, end game factor, like they're run out of tiles or or whatever the that causes the end game to happen and then points get scored and somebody wins uh and that is a nice game because that means that you play through to the end no matter what no one gets bumped out it's not like settlers where you have your three points and everyone else is at eight or nine points and you can see that and you're like you know there's no chance of you winning and you're just like waiting for the game to end in uh, Carson doesn't happen because you're always building the board and you always get to do something and it's always kind of fun and different and there's always somewhere to put the piece etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and then at the end we count up and someone just happens to win and so again you can look at the board and be like oh look at this thing we built yeah well and it introduces you to the idea of well, I have to think about what the best kind of moves are that I could possibly do and it allows you to have a longer term vision as well within this these shorter confines so you can go oh yeah i don't need to finish that road because you know i'm going to continue to work on this city and 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 play the game in multiple different ways at once and towards the end of the game it gets more stressful because it's like oh well if i don't finish this city i don't get any points or Mm -hmm. whatever but Mm -hmm. it it yeah you're right it it definitely has more more fun throughout it more game throughout it yeah that you're you're always playing and that is something about it uh and that that is always the problem with certain games of a higher strategy where sometimes on your turn there is only one thing you can do and you have to just do that thing even though you don't want it then you don't get to make any choices whereas carcassonne you're always drawing something out and you always get to place it so you're always doing something and making something happen which is nice like firefly has that too you're always doing something on your turn uh very rarely are you stuck in the middle of space with nothing no capable no no ability to do something yeah well and it's and it's almost always something that you want to do like that and that's the nice thing about it as opposed to agricola or even uh yeah agricola um where you know yeah there are mul- there can be multiple moves for you to make but most of them are stupid one of them is the only one that makes sense for you and yeah. you're gonna have to do it yeah you know yeah and 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 so that it allows the game to continue to be fun for everyone, but it also means that the game, I, I mean, part of that is the simplicity of the game. Yeah. And so once you add more complexity to it, you you necessarily move away from that. Well, it's just fun for everyone at all times kind of mm-hmm. kind of experience, unless you run into something like Firefly, which manages to navigate complexity and continually continual fun really well yeah definitely definitely yeah uh and there's another yeah. game that i wanted to make sure we brought up as well which one's that yeah i think you know what it is it didn't win game of the year because it got beat out by another game but it might as well have won game of the year which is of course I... splendor Splendor. Oh, okay. Splendor. Sorry. Which I, I know some people who are listening to this podcast, uh, I'm, I'm sure they love because it is a fantastic game. Yeah. Well, and Splendor is a good example of one of those games where you have your own board 
and there's a shared board. But yeah. instead of the, that being boards, it's cards. Yeah, it's all made up of cards. So it is technically a card game, I guess. But it yeah. feels like a board game. Um, but it is a fantastic... And you have gems. And for people who don't know, it is a game where you have uh, you, you collect gems. And then you use those gems to buy cards. And those cards have gems on them, which count as gems when you're trying to buy more cards. And so you're just trying to amass these cards. And some of them have points on them. And the first to get... 15 points wins, wins or ends the game, and then somebody wins. Uh, so it's it's this the thing I love about this game, and again, teaching it at a cafe is great because there are literally three things you can do on your turn. You can take gems, buy a card, or reserve a card. That's it. Yeah, and because of that, it's so easy to teach someone, and they can pick it up right away. And then the nuances of the strategy... Uh, everything's mostly played face up except for the cards that are reserved, but it's mostly played face up so you can help people learn it as they're playing. They can see what's out there and you can see everyone's strategies and you can kind of like, uh, it, it's, it's nice and open like that. And the g- turns are so quick that it doesn't get boring and the game itself doesn't play longer than like, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes at most kind of thing. Uh, and it's just such a great little game that has enough nuances in the strategy of it that it stays entertaining yeah yeah it's it is a fun fun game and i mean the i i i I like playing splendor by myself (laughs) I'm, i'm a big fan of playing it against the computer because it's one of those games that is relatively mindless for me yeah and that i just kind of enjoy that experience of just playing it without having to actively think about people's moves too much Mm -hmm. and and that's what i enjoy about it so it's very much solitaire for me in that regard as opposed to a game like istanbul which has some of the same sorts of mechanics but it has more complexity more depth and is more of a game that you play against someone else yeah i would not put istanbul even in the same category as like same mechanics as uh as Splendor, it's such a different game. It is, and it's an f- amazing game. It's I, I think Istanbul was another one that I had to bring up because I think it, it's the one that won that year against Splendor. Uh, and I agree. I think it should have. It was, it's such a good game. It is. It and Istanbul is a a perfect example of complexity variability playing against each other mm-hmm. and uh and actually relatively a short game you know you don't it doesn't go on for forever I, I, if so, it hits an hour that's impressive for istanbul yeah. yeah yeah but splendor and istanbul are both games we just need to bring up but splendor is is a great game i played in a splendor tournament i think i've told you this before uh yeah was it, this the one you played against like teenagers or no it was just adults and kids and teenagers it was a mixed, mixed group of people and i won the tournament and so i won a, a rollout mat that you play Splendor on. So it's like this nice, like it has like spots for all the cards and gems to go. It's fantastic. It's so, it was, it was worth playing Splendor every day for like four days just to get good enough to win that tournament so that I could have that mat. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you beat other people and destroyed their dreams. Yep. But like it's, Splendor is a good example of a game where, uh, you and I, our ability to, um, let's say, manipulate other people's actions. Sure. It's it's not it that doesn't come into play as much in something like Splendor. Like, yeah. like in a lot of games where you and I play, I would say we are downright manipulative. 
I'm and, not, I'm not, and occasionally can you, you can stop including me in all this you can just say you are a manipulative you don't have to bring me into this i don't think i'm yeah. manipulative when i play games i i play to win that's, that's how i play i also play to win but i think other people would say that you and i are are manipulative when we play board games i think i i think that if you you asked many of our many of our friends when we played if that was a good descriptor of us, it would fit. I know they would all say you are, but I don't think all of them would say that I am. Uh, I that's because you're more subtle about it. I'm definitely more subtle about it if I do it. But I am. I, I tell people what their best move is, but I don't like pretend it's their best move and manipulate them into doing something they don't want to do. I just help them know what they should do so that I can destroy them. But um, but like I I I don't I don't like thinking of it in those terms <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to think of yourself as a bad person when you play board games no i understand that i'm 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 a bad person but um but that's because i'm playing the game properly um which is playing to win but people who play games not to win are maybe my least play, favorite people to play board games with because then they're just build they're just playing because they want to build a farm on their board and it's like you know we could just build farms on our board we don't need to play this game then if that's all you want to do uh and it and if there's one person that's playing not to win in a game it makes uh the other three people who are playing who are trying to win now uh the game is almost moot for us because everything this person does is just sort of random so it's not it's it might help you just because you happen to go after them and that's it and like that that kind of stuff just that drives me a little crazy well and i mean it it ends up being something where you have to figure out how to play against this spoiler like yeah. this person who and and i mean there is a degree to which okay well that that can be uh, challenging and kind of interesting to see how to do that but i i think you're right it takes away some of the fun of the game which i mean fair enough uh, the playing board games for fun just for fun i'm okay with that but it's you 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 and i really thrive on the strategy and the thinking through a game and and have a really hard time just playing it you know quote for fun yeah, well, it's it's the fact that if we aren't all playing the same game, then we're not playing a game together. And that's where, to me, the goal of the game is is to win, right? To play to win. Yeah. That's the goal of this game. The game, it says the objective is to do this, right? Uh, and so if some of us are trying to do that and one person isn't, now we're not playing the same game anymore. And so it it's we're just in disagreement. Whereas if we all just agree that this is what we're trying to accomplish and then we all try to accomplish it together, then it's fun. We're playing the same thing. Uh, like I've, I've played with people who in like settlers make it their all they want is to have the longest road uh, and they don't care whether or not they win the game. They just want the longest road at the end of the game. That's how they play settlers, which means that I am going to win just because this person just made the longest road and ruined your game. Right. Because now you can't get out because they built a road around you, even though it's not helping them win. It's just making you lose and therefore I win. And that doesn't feel like a very good win. You know, that doesn't feel like I won the game. It feels like, oh, by chance, because this person is a freaking wild card, I won the game. And that's that that defeats the whole purpose of board games to me. I think the the competitive nature of board games, the the pushing yourself to do the best you can and try and beat other people and have them beat you is an important part of the game. And then leaving it in the game is, of course, important. There's nothing worse than a, a, someone who 
gets flips a board at the end of risk because you beat them and it's like come on man leave it in the game it's a game it's not i didn't really beat you in life <laughs> i'm a board game nerd i did not beat you at life <laughs> anyway we should wrap it up here we should wrap it up here what do you think closing thoughts um well i mean i'm i'm happy that we've we've kind of come on to this this board game phenomena i think that it's been a a great way of I mean, I think it's a fun social exercise. I I appreciate the ability to just get together, hang out with some friends, and play, yes, against each other, but, you know, get, be be united in an experience for a little while. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, as somebody who's an intellectual, I like the idea that when I'm playing board games, I'm exercising my mind and mm -hmm. thinking things through. And Me too, yeah. I just, I'm, I'm... Uh, I'm really happy that it's kind of this, this, this phenomena has uh, come around. And I, I, the only thing I would, I, I agree with everything you said, but I would, I, the only thing I would add is that I enjoy the fact that it's becoming a go out to a location, like go to a board game cafe and play games type thing. Cause it, it's giving people who uh, aren't sports fans who don't want to go watch a sports game uh, somewhere to go and exercise that sort of like competitive nature that is within us as humans, you know, and, and in a fun and, and playful environment. Also a place for people that don't want to like go to a bar and drink to, to go somewhere and engage and interact with people over a shared activity that that isn't that that is that is accessible to just about everyone. And it's safe and it's fun. And it uh, and it again, it is exercising that mental ability instead of exercising our drinking ability. Which is something I think is uh, underappreciated about board games that I just wanted to make sure uh, we throw in there. Mm -hmm.